Good morning. My name is Thad Lanthrop. I'm the executive pastor here at CIV. I'm glad you could be with us as we are continuing on in our Summer in the Psalms message series. And today we are looking at a prophetic psalm. Now, when I think of prophecy, and I think the majority of people, when they think of that, they're thinking of somebody that's predicting something that's going to happen in the future. And every so often, a religious person will get make the news for predicting that the world is going to end or Jesus is going to come back. Take a look at this timepiece uh, magazine that was on the top ten end-of-the-world prophecies. And this man, Harold Camping, was a president of Christian radio stations, and he predicted the world was going to end on May 21st, 2011. Now, we know that didn't happen because we are still here. But that wasn't his first time to predict the world was going to end. He also predicted that mid-September 1994, the world was going to end. And he was using biblical numbers to come up with this prediction. And then when that didn't happen, he predicted it would end in 1995. And in the San Francisco Chronicle in 1995, he was quoted as saying, I'm like the the boy who cried wolf again and again, and the wolf didn't come. Now, this is false prophecy. We know it is because it directly contradicts God's word where Jesus himself said only God knows when the Son of Man will return. But this is the kind of thing that typically it's where our mind goes when we think of prophecy. It's somebody predicting something in the future. And so I think it's really important for us to take a look at the Old Testament prophetic role and get a clear understanding of what that role was. So take a look here with me at, at what the prophetic role in the Old Testament really was. Now, an Old Testament prophet acted as a mouthpiece for God, receiving a message from him and then proclaiming it in accordance with his commands. So sometimes God's message for his people was something about what was coming in the future, or we know there's prophecy about the Messiah coming and Jesus fulfilled all of those prophecies. But sometimes um, the message that God had for his people was like commands for them to follow or another message. And the prophets in the Old Testament, they would proclaim God's message through different ways. One of those ways was brief oral statements. And if you've printed out the handout, you can take a look on that handout. I have some uh, examples that are listed next to uh, each of these ways that the prophets communicated God's message. Another way that they communicated was longer oral messages. There was also patriarchal blessings. This is a unique uh, pro- prophecy that would happen where towards the end of one of the patriarchs' uh, life in Genesis, they'd start, they would predict things about their family line into the future. Another way that God's message came through was through prophets describing visions that God gave them, or there'd be symbolic actions, like when Solomon's kingdom was going to be broken up into ten tribes, um, the prophet tore his clothes into uh, ten items and gave it to Jeroboam, because Jeroboam was going to be the one who would receive 
the broken, those ten tribes. So the prophets would use these different ways of communication to pass along the message God gave them. Now today we're going to look at Psalm 50, 50. And this psalm is prophetic because it has an oral message from God to his people. Now in the first message of this series, we looked at the five steps for grasping God's word. And these steps are going to be really important for us in understanding the prophetic psalm, because there's some meaning that we would miss if we didn't follow all of the steps. So here's a quick review of the five steps for grasping God's word. Step number one is grasping the text in their town. So what does the text mean to the biblical audience? Step number two, measuring the width of the river to cross. What are the differences between the biblical audience and us? Step number three, cross the principalizing bridge. What is the theological principle in this text? Step number four, consult the biblical map. How does our theological principle fit with the rest of the Bible? Our principle that we pull out needs to fit with the rest of the Bible. It can't be different than what God's word says somewhere down the line. And then step number five, grasping the text in our town. How should individual Christians today Live out the theological principles. So we're going to use these steps to help us to understand what God's word is telling us to be able to apply to our lives today. The first section in Psalm 50 that we're going to look at is God's, he's, he's calling his people to hear from him. Now when I call my, my kids to come hear from me, it's usually like, hey, kids, come here. I need to tell you something. Not a whole lot of information you can gather from that. But when God calls his people to hear from him in Psalm 50, we can gather so much information about what is going on in this situation. And it's going to help us to answer the first two questions, two questions in grasping God's word, which is what did the text mean to the biblical audience? And what are the differences between the biblical audience and us? So let's read this together. It says, The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire. Around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me, my faithful ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Now we're going to dig into what is being said here, and we're going to start to answer the question, what did the text mean to the biblical audience? This was written to God's people, the Israelites. And the language that's used here is a theophany. Now, a theophany is a visual, visible appearance of God to humans. The Israelites would know about God's appearance to his people at Mount Sinai. We can read about it in Exodus 19 through 20, where we find the Ten Commandments. God sends Moses down the mountain, down Mount Sinai, to be his mouthpiece, 
to relay the Ten Commandments and the law to his people. And in Exodus 19.18, we see, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. This is the language used of God appearing before his people. He's coming in in fire. And Psalm 53 uses that similar language. Take a look at what it says. Our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire. Around him a mighty tempest. God's people would know this language is referring to God making a visible appearance before them. And then Psalm 55 explains even more of what the text meant to the biblical audience, where it says, Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The covenant in this verse is referencing the covenant God made with his people in the Old Testament. We see that God brought his covenant before his people in Exodus 19 through 24. Moses declares the Ten Commandments and then Uh, more of God's law to the people in those chapters. And then the covenant is confirmed by God's people in Exodus 24, 6 and 7, where it says, And Moses took half of the blood and put it on, and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that God has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. This covenant is important for us to understand in order to be able to bridge the gap from God's people when they heard it to us today. Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. And when sin entered into the world, mankind's relationship with God was broken. He is holy. That means he's perfect. He's without blemish, without sin. And his creation was no longer perfect when sin entered into the world. When Adam and Eve chose to disobey, and we've all chosen to disobey in our own ways, sin has broken our relationship with God. God's plan was to redeem his people. And he started the redemption process by making covenants with his people. And the covenant we're looking at today, this was God's law to his people that they should follow until Jesus came. Under the covenant, God's people would make sacrifices to atone for their sins. When they deviated from God's law, they would need to make an animal sacrifice to God. This is called the Old Covenant. And so Psalm 50 is talking about God coming before his people, and it's referencing back to this time where he made this covenant. Now, knowing this, these two things, it answer, it helps us answer this, the question, what are the differences between the biblical audience and us? So, we're living under the new covenant. Jesus Christ did come. He was born. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, and he was raised three days later. We no longer need to make these animal sacrifices to atone for our sins. Jesus was the sacrifice once and for all. 
and we can have a restored relationship with God through him. Romans 8:10-9 describes how to do this. It says because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God's people under the new covenant have a restored relationship with God as they make Jesus their Lord. This means that he is our boss and that we pursue righteousness with our life because we've made Jesus our Lord and boss. Second part of Romans 10.9 is that we believe that God raised him from the dead. We accept that Jesus died on the cross, was raised three days later as a sacrifice for our sins. Because he was perfect. He didn't have any sin. He was the sacrifice once and for all for us. Through Jesus Christ, we can relate to God freely. This is a major difference between us and the biblical audience. And we need to keep this in mind as we go through the rest of Psalm 50. Now, one more thing to point out in uh, this God calling his people to hear from him is verse 55 again where it says, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Peter C. Craigie, in the Word Biblical Commentary, he says that the second line in verse 5 should be translated this way. Those about to make a covenant with me by sacrifice. So we hear, gather to me my faithful ones. These are the people who've been faithful to my covenant. And then it says, those about to make a covenant with me by sacrifice. There's a Hebrew participle here, and a participle is a verbal adjective that expresses action. And he's saying that the Bible translators have not quite given the full weight of this participle in this interpretation. And so there's this future action that is actually going on in this line. So who made a covenant with me by sacrifice is really those who are about to make a covenant with me by sacrifice. And so God is appearing before his people. He's calling them his faithful ones, those who have been faithful to the covenant with him. And he is also talking about his people about to make a covenant with him. And they're about to make a covenant with him in a covenant renewal ceremony. That's what's going on here. That's what we can gather from this, these first six verses in, in Psalm 50. And so God is, introduces these statements that he's about to make. And what the statements and the instructions that he's giving them is, here's how you worship me. In this ceremony, here's what you do. And what we see is the act of worshiping is not as important as the heart of the worshiper. They go together. Psalm 57 through 15 says, hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. God is saying that he is not rebuking them because of their lack of religious activity. They're doing what he told them to do when they entered the covenant with him. They're fulfilling the vows that they've made. 
So he's not rebuking them for that. But he goes on to say, I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. It's amazing what he's saying here. God's saying, I don't need your sacrifices. I don't need your flocks or herds. I own it all. I see it all. He is God over everything. That's what he's declaring here. And then he goes on to say, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. There it is. God is telling his people how to do the covenant renewal ceremony. And verse 14 summarizes it for us. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. God is saying that the Israelites can do all the right things to fulfill the covenant and still not fulfill the covenant how he wants them to do it. God is concerned with the heart of those that are fulfilling the vows. Take a look at this old Christmas photo of my family. Isn't that a great picture? Our senior pastor, Randy, with the awesome stash that he's got going on. Everyone's smiling. I got the flat top haircut working. It looks like such a happy family. Well, looks can be deceiving. We were a happy family, but not during that picture. I hated doing family photos, and I had the worst attitude that you could have for that picture. My first protest was clothes. I mean, I had to wear jeans. I hated jeans. Can you believe they made me wear jeans for the picture? Then the photo itself would take so long. This was the days where you actually had film and you had to go get it developed, and so you didn't know if any of the pictures came out well, and so you took a lot of pictures just hoping that one of them was going to turn out. And then I was just a pain during this picture. I'd be sulking right up until the picture was taken, and then I would smile. This is what we can do when we worship God. We can go through all the motions, come to church, serve, do all the things, but our heart's not really in it. God is telling his people, I'm not rebuking you for the way you offer sacrifices, for the religious activity that you're doing. I'm not rebuking you for doing all those things, but I'm telling you, offer the sacrifices of thanksgiving for what I have done for you. God wants his people to renew the covenant with the right heart. And that's a principle that can translate to us today. Before we get into that more, reading Psalm 50, verses 16 through 23, shows us that God is warning his people that know his commands and choose to disobey them. 
Psalm 50, 16 through 23 says, But to the wicked, God says, What right have you to recite my statutes? Or take my covenant on your lips, for you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you are pleased with him, and you keep company with adulterers. These are people that know what God says, but they choose to live opposite from God's ways. That's who he's addressing here. And God goes on to say, you give your mouth free reign for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother and slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this, then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I shall show the salvation of God. This is a stern warning from God. The rebuke and the warning, it builds until it gets to the summary statement in verse 22. Mark this, then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. Last week, we looked at Psalms of Confidence, and Psalm 16.8 says, I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Having God at our right hand, on our side, it gives us confidence to face really hard things in life. We don't have to be shaken because he's with us. He's there. He's right by our side. Now let's contrast what we learned last week with this week. Psalm fifty twenty two, where it says, Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. There's two options that we're seeing here. One in Psalm 16, where the Lord is right by our side. God's ways are in front of us. God is right by our side with us, helping us. And then there's verse 50, 22, which says, Mark this, then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart, and there be none to deliver. Instead of God being by our side, when we know God's ways and we're actively going against them, God moves from by our side and he comes against us in opposition. He disciplines us. He wants the discipline to to make us repent and turn back into a, a relationship with him. But man, that is scary. I want God by my side. And so what we see here is put God in front of you. Put his ways in front of you and God will be with you by your side. You don't have to be shaken. But oh man, we're going to be shaken if God's coming against us because we're just ignoring his ways and doing life how we want and thinking it's all going to work out. So what's the theological principle in the text that we see here? It can be found in verse 14 and 23. Verse 14 says, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. And then verse 23 says, The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me to one who 
orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. The covenant that God's people were under at the time was about a relationship with God. There was lots of laws that they had to follow and animal sacrifices that they had to to do to atone for their sins. God is instructing them to keep fulfilling their vows, to keep on doing these things, but do it with a heart of thanksgiving. God's saying, worship me. Worshiping me is about the right heart and fulfillment of the vows. It's not just about doing the religious things that I'm commanding you to do. And that's the bridge for us today. We're not going to do a covenant renewal ceremony. That's not, we can't apply what God is saying to that specific thing. Jesus came and he said that that part of the law was fulfilled. So we don't have to do that anymore. But God still commands us to worship him like we're doing right now. And the bridge to Christ followers today is that God wants us to worship him sincerely from the heart. Step number four is asking the question, how does our theological principle fit with the rest of the Bible? Well, Matthew twenty-two thirty-four through 40 shows us that this principle that God wants us to worship him sincerely from the heart, it fits with the rest of the Bible. Take a look at what it says. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Now, these were the religious leaders of the time. And they were concerned very much with following the law exactly. They weren't so much concerned with the heart, is what it seems like as Jesus interacts with them. And here they are. They're trying to trap Jesus with religious questions about the law. And look what happens here. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The Pharisees and the Sadducees knew the law. They were very careful to observe the law. In Psalm 50 terms, they were all about fulfilling the vows of the law. And here they are. They're trying to use this question to trick Jesus into saying something contrary to Scripture. And he tells them, loving God with your whole heart. That's the greatest commandment. It's not about what we think we do for God. It is about our attitudes towards what God has done for us. And the attitude that God wants for us to have is thankfulness. We love God with our heart, soul, and mind out of gratitude for him sending his son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice for our sins. So how should individual Christians today live out the theological principles? Well, 1 John 5.3 tells us how to love God. 
says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. We love God by doing what he says to do. But like we've seen in Psalm 50 and Matthew 22, God also wants our hearts. One of God's commands is for us to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs together in corporate worship. But I can't see people's hearts as they worship. People can't see my heart as they worship. Only God and that person know if they are worshiping God with their whole heart. For some people, singing praises with their whole heart is standing still and singing. For others, it's raising their hands in praise of God. But at the same time, people can be raising their hands in praise to God and not doing it with the whole heart. Or they can be standing still and singing praises to God and not doing it with a whole heart. So I want to encourage everyone to ask this question this week. God and you know your heart. So ask God, am I loving you with my heart, soul, and mind as I obey you? If the answer is no, set out to figure out why. The possibilities of our heart not loving God fully for one reason or the other are endless. Sometimes we're we're distracted by life's worries and we need to turn them over to God before we can really worship him fully. Other times we get in our own way. We focus on what we want in a situation and we can't worship God fully. Because we're so focused on our desires. Use this question like a check engine light in your car. When the answer is no, seek to understand what's the problem? What's going on in my heart? How can I get back on track with worshiping God and loving him with my heart, soul, and mind? Sometimes fixing it is as easy as as confessing, you know what, God? I've been focusing on myself. Please forgive me. Help me to to focus on how to worship you fully. Other times, it's more difficult to figure out what's the problem going on in my heart. If that's the case, reach out to someone who can help you to think through what's going on, to to help you get out of, of not being able to worship God fully. Whatever's going on in our hearts, we can use that as an opportunity to get right before God and enter into his presence and worship him fully by obeying him daily. Each week we have next steps in response to the message. And our goal at CIV is to be doers of the word. We want to love God. We want to obey him. So here's some next steps you might want to take in response to the message. The first is to confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. If you have not made Jesus the Lord of your life yet, I invite you to do that today and let us know on your connection card. We'd love to reach out to you with some resources to help you get established in your faith. The next next step is follow God's command to fill in the blank. Is there something you know you need to do, God's telling you to do, but you don't want to do it? 
follow God's command. Remember the warning that he says that I'm going to come against you when when we're doing it. God is patient. He's not going to he's he's typically not going to do that right away. But we don't want to get in a situation where God is opposing us. So follow God's command to fill in the blank. And then the last next step is love God with my whole heart by fill in the blank. So there's just something you're struggling to really love God with your whole heart. Write it down. Set out to figure it out this week so that you can worship God fully. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much that you give us guidance in your word and you show us that you love us so much. You want a relationship with us. You, you allow us to relate freely with you and choose to obey you or not. But it's best for us if we will love you with our whole heart, soul, and mind. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to live life with the gratitude of how you've saved us from the pits of hell and to live life out of that gratitude, loving you, obeying your commands, and experiencing the blessing that comes from that. We ask for your help to do that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.